You know how important it is to ensure that your supplements are genuine, safe, and effective. That's why I partnered with Fullscript, an online dispensing platform that only offers curated professional-grade brands that I know and trust. The very same supplements that I prescribe to my patients and take myself. Never counterfeit or expired, always stored and shipped correctly. Just go to DearHoffmanStore.com to start your free Fullscript account. Buying through Fullscript offers fast shipping, optional refill reminders, a mobile-friendly site. It's safe, secure, and HIPAA compliant and offers world-class support. Fullscript also gives you access to my custom targeted supplement protocols that combine the products that I recommend to address specific needs, heart health, immune support, and much more. Just go to DearHoppinStore.com to sign up for your free Fullscript account. You'll get access to the supplements and features you need to help you achieve your wellness goals. That's DearHoffmanStore.com. DearHoffmanStore.com. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Our guest, Dr. Paul Kolodzik. He's written a great book called The Continuous Glucose Monitor Revolution for Non-Diabetics, and you can get a hold of a copy by going to metabolicmds.com slash free book. It's a great offer for, especially for our Intelligent Medicine listeners, uh, to become acquainted with this technology, which I think is extremely empowering. And, uh, you know, I, I really suggest uh, you... Not just for diabetics, not just for people who are concerned about uh, whether they have metabolic syndrome, but I think it's just a great thing for people to undertake uh, who even are, are healthy and have optimal metabolism because it'll really uh, provide you with insights into what uh, various uh, variables uh, are doing to your blood sugar. And, you know, for example, um, you know, if you occasionally have, uh, I don't know, maybe you decide to have uh, oatmeal for breakfast like I do from time to time, although I'm mostly on a low-carb diet, you know, is that uh, affecting you? Uh, how well uh, do you have a good capacity for handling uh, carbohydrates or are very, very intolerant of them? You can find out uh, by using such a device. And you don't have to stick your fingers and, you know, undergo that uh, messy process. It'll it'll read the numbers for you. Um so, Dr. Klotzik, you know, uh, one concern about these devices is uh, about accuracy because they're not drawing blood. They simply use a tiny pin uh, that sits, you know, a millimeter under the surface of your skin and they monitor what's called the intracellular space. Uh, but uh, there has been some concern that, you know, maybe they overread, underread blood sugar, that they're not deadly accurate. Uh, do they have to be validated with uh, initially with a finger stick? Uh, some of my patients have been told that they need to do some finger sticks to calibrate the machine. Is that still the case or has the technology improved? Yeah, the technology has improved. Those are the older devices that needed to be calibrated. They're generally accurate uh, to about 7 to 8%. Now, you, you got to realize that finger sticks are only accurate to that degree as well. Mm -hmm. So really, they're as good as finger sticks. So what I find from a pragmatic level with my patients is when you put a device on, it, it actually takes that sensor a little bit of time to settle into that subcutaneous environment, that environment under the skin. Hmm. Um, and so we'll have a tendency to see some lower readings in the first 24 hours or so. But then, um, but, but then the sensor uh, gets familiar with that environment, and after that, the readings are fairly accurate. 
Okay. Uh, from what I understand, I was, uh, you know, kind of a, kind of a, a tech bro myself and uh, a fan of technology and of devices. And I use an Apple Watch. And uh, I was looking at a YouTube video that tries to prognosticate about, you know, the upcoming iteration of the Apple Watch, uh, the Apple Watch 10, it's going to be, or the Apple Watch X, the Roman numeral. And that is said to be coming out in fall of 2024. And they predict that it, there's no guarantee because you never know. This is all, you know, guesswork. But they predict that the Apple Watch will have the capability to uh, monitor uh, blood glucose like a CGM. Uh, have you heard about that? And do you think it's going to be as accurate? Because yeah. it's not going to, you know, they can't make an Apple Watch that's going to have a little pin that sticks under your skin. It's got to do it yeah. through a different uh, technology, through, I don't know, looking through your skin and looking at the capillaries right. under the skin. Yeah. So the two technologies that have been used to, to, dry, to try to develop skin sensors are, um, you, you know, a photoelectric, um, technology to determine blood glucose and then a radio frequency, frequency approach, the RFIDs that, you know, like are in your credit card and, and which you can really just use to pay for things. Um, I, you know, there's been discussion of this quite honestly, Ron, for a number of years. Um, I actually am a little bit skeptical that we'll see it this fall. Uh, I do think it's going to be coming at some point, and I think it'll be great. If it's not used um, for people that are dosing their insulin, then I think it'll give a lot of people insight into how the foods they eat affects them, and I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, it sounds like it's if it comes to pass, it's going to be the killer app, which will enable tens of millions of people who wear these relatively inexpensive devices to continuously uh, monitor their blood sugar. I, I agree with you. It's it's kind of a, a technological challenge uh, to get this to work because, you know, even sometimes I'm a little skeptical about the ability of my Apple Watch to read my pulse certain times because sometimes it picks it up and sometimes it doesn't accurately. Uh, okay, yeah. so uh, the um, so so one of the things that we wanted to talk about, which has become an interest of yours, is let's face it, we're in the midst of a, a drug revolution because the GLP-1 drugs and now combo drugs uh, GLP-1 and GIP-1 uh, combo drugs like uh, Munjaro uh, and eventually triple action drugs, uh, they're going to continue uh, to enter the marketplace and enable Americans to lose scads and scads of weight through pharmaceutical means. So uh, you have some thoughts on that. And, uh, you know, first of all, the sustainability of that uh, for most people. And also, you know, what are some of the ways in which people can work with uh, these drugs to optimize their effectiveness and maybe ultimately enable them to wean off? Absolutely. So, you know, Stephen Covey wrote a book, His Seven Habits, and one of those habits was begin with the end in mind. And the end in mind for somebody that begins to take these drugs should be how am I going to get off these medications? And when a patient comes into my office and they're interested in losing weight or improving their metabolic health, um, I think, you know, quite honestly, first do no harm. And a harm can be starting a medicine on, pa on a patient that they're committed to for life. 
So why is that a potential issue that they'll have trouble getting off these medications? Well, one reason is, is that when you stop these medications, weight regain has been identified as a significant problem. Up to 70% of the weight that is lost while on these medications can be regained. Another issue that we alluded to in the past, last podcast was muscle mass. People lose muscle mass when mm-hmm. they're on these medications yes. as well. And, and again, that's and again why I'm an advocate for strength training. So I think these medications have their place, but only in the setting of a comprehensive program where there is a plan to use them, I believe, for limited periods of time in limited amounts while you're doing other lifestyle things that will sustain uh, the weight loss subsequent to the time that you come off the medications. Is there a danger that because these medications so thoroughly suppress appetite that some people will just say, oh, you know, I'm going to skip lunch today. I'll, you know, I think I'll just have some soda crackers, you know, and, and uh, what they're getting is basically uh, a small volume of food, uh, very low calorie food, but very poor in the way of nutritional quality, uh, lacking the vitamins, the fiber, the essential fatty acids, and especially the protein uh, that are really necessary for sustaining health. Yeah, and that's why I'm always pushing protein with my patients that are on this. Again, it goes along with strength training, trying to maintain muscle mass, but you need to target a given amount of protein when you're on these medications and make sure you're getting it. And that danger certainly exists. I, I have patients that forget about eating sometimes yeah. on these medications yeah. on the low doses that I'm putting them on. And so, um, you you know, there needs to be a diligent effort between a clinician, like our practice, um, with health coaching support, um, so that, you know, the the entire program is being monitored. I'm a little concerned that, you know, people are going out to the internet and getting these medications. um, And I think I mentioned before we got on, it's kind of the wild west out there. And in terms of, uh, um, you, you know, just obtaining these medications mm-hmm. and, and it, it shouldn't be taken lightly. And also the medications have, you know, contraindications, reasons you can't be on them and also significant side effects um, as well and some complications as well. So um, they should be used prudently. And, you know, they're, they're only really, you know, seven, ten years old. And so really we don't know the effects of the long term use of them. Are they good medicines? Yes, I think they're good medicines, but I think they need to be used appropriately. And in my mind, again, that's low doses for limited periods of time. You know, and I too am concerned about the proliferation of uh, websites and apps uh, that enable people to uh, easily access uh, a prescription uh, without, you know, uh, these are often supervised by, quote, health practitioners, who, you know, who will take, you know, you, you fill out a brief survey uh, and they'll, you know, appear on a, you know, quick Zoom conference with you uh, and then approve you for the medication and prescribe the medication. But I just don't think that that uh, is a substitute for supervised care. Uh, I also noticed the other day was I was walking around uh, Midtown uh, and I saw a billboard for Weight Watchers. Now, Weight Watchers, uh, you know, is existentially threatened by these medications. You know, if they hadn't adapted as they did, uh, they might tank. You know, that's a big company. So what the 
<laughs> what the billboard said is they will provide you with a GLP-1 compatible weight loss program. In other words, they'll provide uh, diet advice, probably, you know, behavioral advice. Uh, there's no reason not to go to Weight Watchers anymore because these medications have uh, been uh, introduced. And, of course, Oprah Winfrey herself has fessed up and said, yeah, I've lost scads of weight because I'm taking one of these drugs. I'm not saying that yeah. you don't need to go to Weight Watchers anymore, uh, but uh, these drugs are reality. Yeah, yeah. And so there was definitely, you know, a lot of marketing going on to these. I don't know if you heard last week, uh, there was discussion of even the company that makes one of these medications, Eli Lilly, mm -hmm. going directly to patients and providing this medication. Well, you know, think think about that motivation. I mean, that would be Eli that would be Majaro. That would be Majaro, right? Because yeah, uh, that would be Majaro. The, the the weight loss uh, equivalent is Zepbound. Mm -hmm. You know, yep. the same yep. medication. I've seen ads for that. Uh, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so you know, you got to think about the motivation. I mean, pharmaceutical companies are interested in selling medications, and yeah, there's gonna there are going to be medical providers involved. But you know, I I really feel the best approach is with you know a knowledgeable uh, provider, preferably has a background in metabolic health or preventive health, um, and somebody that has your best interests in mind in terms again using these medications prudently and not committing you to a lifetime of dependency on them. Well, so how workable is that proposition? Because uh, you're a metabolic physician. Uh, you are founder and CEO of MetabolicMDs.com. And so you have patients under your care who've taken these medications. Have you been able to wean any of them successfully off the medications? And have they not gained all the yeah. weight back? Yeah, uh, we've had lots of patients we've weaned off the medication. So you know, we never do these programs or the medication uh, without, again, I'm an advocate of a low-carb diet approach, often mm -hmm. using continuous glucose monitors to guide that low-carb diet, um, some intermittent fasting. So we do the lifestyle things while people are on the medication. Um, and then the strength training, again, huge component here because of the issue of muscle mass loss when you're on these medications. Um, and then I I trade up to limited doses, like like the highest dose, for example, of uh, Wigovi goes up to two and a half milligrams. I seldom use that's an oral medication, right? Wigovi. Excuse me. Wigovi is an oral medication, is it not? No, no, it's an injectable as well. Oh, okay. These are all once weekly injectable medications. Okay. Yeah, uh, Wigovi is the equivalent of Ozempic. Okay. Um, Ozempic is, you know, for diabetics, it's the same medicine would go be for. Weight they loss. just obtained an indication for weight loss. In other words, there's just a. Yeah, they just, yeah, same. And the equivalent is Monjuro for diabetics and Zepbal for weight loss. Mm -hmm. um, but, but again, I, I try and maintain moderate doses to get the job done. And then we titrate down in terms of a period of months, not a period of years. Is, is it fair and to it, say. cost is an issue, yeah. Cost is an issue, absolutely. Is is and give me uh, some ideas about the cost. You know, what are some of these medications costing? You know, even when you put patients on this uh, low dose maintenance, how, how costly is it? Yeah. So um, insurance coverage is limited. So if you're diabetic, generally Monjuro or the equivalent uh, Ozempic or or similar for diabetics. 
uh, is often covered by insurance. The weight loss medications are rarely covered by insurance in, in my mind, uh, or in my experience, I should say. Hmm. Um, and then that cost can be like $1,000 out of pocket. Um, they're all compounded generic medications as well. Um, and I do use some of those because the cost is about a third. Those are created by, they are not FDA approved, but they're um, uh, provided by state licensed pharmacy. And it provides some people that otherwise would not have access to these medications. It provides uh, access for them. So it sounds like there are three levels of so the official pharmaceutical brands. They're the compounded right. brands that if they're made by a trustworthy, legitimate pharmacy, they have the generic ingredients. But it's a little bit of a dodge because, you know, it's kind of a gray zone legally because they're not supposed to do that. They're not supposed to take, a, you know, a drug that's under patent uh, and uh, offer it uh, generically. So I'm not sure how sustainable that's going to be. And then there's the outright yeah. bootleg operations where you just don't know what you're going to get and people have actually gotten sick and been hospitalized because uh there's no quality control on that and you know you pays your money and takes your chances yeah yeah absolutely but but again any of these should be used in the context of you know working with a medical provider um that is following you you know preferably in my mind seeing you monthly having a health coach contact you at least once a week um so again you can achieve both the outcome you need and not be dependent upon the medication indefinitely is it fair to say that the patients who succeed on these weight loss medications are the patients who get religion when it comes to the right kind of diet, the right kind of exercise, maybe incorporating intermittent fasting so they limit their uh, feeding window time-wise, uh, that that it really entails not just the use of, you know, a weekly injection, but a lifestyle change and an attitude change. Yeah. And that's one reason I like the CGMs. As I mentioned, you know, patients, you know, the continuous glucose monitors help guide this. And once people see, you know, the spikes and valleys on their CGMs, they, they get religion, just as you mentioned. Um, and they convert to a sustainable lifestyle. And again, I'm a, I'm a low-carb person. Some of my patients go keto, not many of them. Um, but I just think the low carb insulin resistance model is a lifestyle sustainable model as opposed to the calories in, calories out, energy balance model, um, because I just don't think people can restrict themselves like that for a lifetime. So really, this is a more doable plan. And when you combine, you know, low carb with intermittent fasting and then make sure you're maintaining that muscle mass, maybe sprinkling in a little bit of the GLP-1 medicines, I think that's the best approach. You know, a, a key controversy about these low carb diets, especially keto diets, uh, which involve, uh, you know, some saturated fat and cholesterol and animal protein is that uh, while patients lose weight and blood pressure improves and blood sugar improves, uh, often their uh, LDLs go up. Uh, and it is said that because of these surrogate markers that uh, okay, they may lose weight, but they're subjecting themselves to cardiovascular risk. As a physician, uh, you're aware of this controversy. What's your take on that? So um, I'm just going to tell you, I think we put way, way too much emphasis on cholesterol and mm -hmm. LDL. Um, and, you know, I think the statin agenda has pushed that. 
over the course of the last 30 or 40 years. Um, I think if you're serious about uh, a high LDL, you, you need to not only look at the overall LDL number, but the subunit number because the type of LDL you have can make a big difference. So for people that have an elevated cholesterol or LDL, which is the bad cholesterol, you, you know, looking at whether, you, you know, I don't want to oversimplify this, but basically there's big fluffy LDL and small hard ping pong LDL. And the big fluffy ones contribute to the overall LDL number, but they really aren't damaging. And if you have predominantly that type uh, of LDL, it, it's not an issue. Um, and so, but if you have a smaller type, like I happen to, then, then you need to be cognizant of it. But the other thing I see like routinely in my, my patients, I see this over and over again, and sometimes it's remarkable. Um, and it is the drop in triglycerides. I was just going to mention that you, you, you're, you, you just, yeah. you, you just anticipated my next question is as a marker of cardiovascular risk. Uh, how important is triglycerides and what's the impact of these diets on triglycerides? And I'm sure you're about to tell me it's very, very positive. Yeah, I've had con conversations with lipidologists, you know, lipid experts, and obviously they feel triglyceride is, you know, a, a big issue. Um, and what happens is this is this is kind of this is counterintuitive, but you think um that, that if you eat more fat, well, that's going to raise the fat in your blood. But related to triglycerides, what happens is triglycerides are converted from blood glucose to fat in the liver. Um, and that's actually how fatty liver occurs as well. So eating fat doesn't cause fatty liver. Eating too many carbs that raise your blood sugar that cause that conversion from blood sugar to fat in the liver is what causes it. So when you start cutting off the substrate or, you know, lowering the fuel in that conversion process, when you get your blood sugar lower, then the triglycerides drop as well. And I've seen, you know, I've seen people's triglycerides drop from, you know, 240 to 86. It's, it's really remarkable. And of course, that plays into this, you know, lipid risk factor issue as well. And when it comes to a fatty liver, uh, which is a problem uh, so prevalent that perhaps uh, the majority of adult Americans have some degree of uh, liver impairment due to fatty liver, uh, how do these uh, how do these low carb diets uh, fare? And do you see an improvement in fatty liver that is associated with a reduction in the fluctuations in blood glucose? Yeah, yeah, fatty low carb diets you know, are very effective at treating fat or fatty liver disease for the reason that I just mentioned. Um, and, uh, um, you know, fatty liver disease is a problem. One in five American adults now has it. Um, and you can monitor this through liver enzyme elevations, as you well know. And I've had a number of patients um, that we've been able to basically see that liver enzyme elevation, um, it, you know, essentially decrease to normal values. And so, again, that's an another, again, I think, beneficial uh, effect of low-carb diets. So tell us a little bit about your practice. Uh, you're located out in the Midwest, I think. Uh, and do you yeah, see yeah, just I'm, local I'm patients licensed. or do you also do telemedicine for people all over the country? Because we have listeners all over the United States and Canada. 
yeah, COVID uh, really kind of changed things. And so I do have an office in Ohio and in Indiana, um, but 90% of my practice is telemedicine. I'm licensed in Ohio, Indiana, Florida, and Arizona. Um, and we see, uh, again, the majority of our patients by telemedicine. And for this type of practice, that works really well. It's, it's not not necessarily a lot of hands-on. It's really gathering data, discussing that data, and then putting a plan together that can be implemented via telehealth. I work with uh, I work with uh, a team of health coaches. I have a, a nurse practitioner and a physician assistant working with me. And, and you know, the medicines came out. You know, the GLP ones have been popular for the last you know couple years. But I've been doing metabolic health for about seven years with really a focus on that foundation that we've talked about using continuous glucose monitors um, and in uh, the intermittent fasting and the strength training. And, you know, I had lots of patients who lost lots of weight, improved their metabolic health tremendously. Their primary care doctors were able to de-prescribe medications. That's one of my favorite words, de-prescribe. Yeah, Come me off too. your blood pressure medicine. Yeah come off your diabetes medicine. Um, and, and so really, that's really the foundation of things, doing those things. If you're going to use the medicines that we've been talking about, it, it's, you know, okay to use them in, in the manner we discussed, but make sure you're you're rolling up your sleeves and doing the other work you need to do so that you can change your lifestyle and you are not dependent upon medications long term. So where do you think you're saving more lives in the emergency room uh, doing heroic medicine or uh, as a metabolic physician? You know, it's it's amazing. People come in. The thing about emergency medicine that impressed me and moved me in this direction is, is that, you know, and we reflect on this personally as well. It's like one minute, everything can be fine. And the next minute, everything changes, you know, whether that's a heart attack or a stroke or you just heard you had kidney disease. And, and I like that acute intervention as you know, emergency physicians. Yeah, I love it. I loved blood and guts medicine when I was going through my training. It was exciting and adrenaline rush yeah. and gratifying when you can save a life. But yeah. they keep the, the same people keep coming but, back into the ER. Again yeah, and again. Yeah, but and then in my practice, um, the satisfaction from, you, you know, I mean, I, it sounds trite, but I mean, you, you can change, change lives with this approach. I mean, people that lose 40, 50, 60 pounds, people that are pre-diabetic, that are no longer pre-diabetic. You know, I've had young people and, and, and you just see the direction of their life changing. CGMs, when they get it, looking at their curves can be part of this. But, but you know, they're going down a path that maybe their parents went down being overweight, diabetic, and, and they turn on a dime. Um, and, and they're never going to have that problem again because they've adapted a new lifestyle. And, you know, I know you've experienced this, Ron, too. It just can be very, very satisfying. Indeed it is. Okay, so the resource uh, for our listeners to find out about uh, Dr. Paul Kolodzik's practice, metabolicmds.com, and the same website, metabolicmds.com slash free book, uh, provides intelligent medicine listeners with uh, a complimentary copy of Dr. Kolodzik's book, The Continuous Glucose Monitor Revolution for Non-Diabetics, uh, which has uh, a lot more detail on uh, these 
very, very innovative devices and how they can be an important adjunct to a real health transformation for a lot of people. So thanks very much and congratulations on your work. I appreciate very much what you're doing. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I want to thank you for listening to the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or your favorite podcast app and get new episodes automatically downloaded every weekday. And please give us a rating and review. It truly helps new people discover Intelligent Medicine. The Intelligent Medicine Podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked from this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their health care professionals for any such conditions. Finally, please visit drhoffman.com and discover everything Intelligent Medicine has to offer, including frequently updated, unbiased health news and fully vetted product and supplement recommendations.